Hello guys and welcome back to another installment of Galley Stories, Stories of the Bering Sea and Beyond. I'm your host Mark Kaler and today we have our number one episode guy, Captain Jack Mullen, rejoining us. Yep. Um, as often they do, captains that visit the show think of all the good stories they forgot to tell. So Jack's back with us again. Jack, welcome back. Thank you, Mark. It's great to be here. All right, let's get into it. Yeah. Okay, well, um, if you've been listening to these shows, you know that uh, Mark almost inevitably asks everybody, hey, what's your scary story? Tell me a scary story. And I would almost have to guess that 9 out of 10 guys don't even have one, or they, they, they haven't thought of it. And You know, and so, of course, it gets my mind thinking, why don't we have scary stories? And in reality, when I first got a job in Alaska in 1980, the captain only had a couple of rules about our conduct, and one of them was, you don't tell scary stories, and uh, you never brag. He says, let the other guys do that, but you don't do that. So, when I was green, I'm down on the dock after one of our first trips, and I'm going, oh man, you should have seen it, the waves were huge, you know, and, and I slipped and almost broke my leg and blah, 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 and I got from behind, like this Vulcan what do they call that? The, the Vulcan the, grip? The, the grip on my neck. And he said, come on, Jack, you got work to do. And he pulled me aside. He said, I've told you once. I'll not tell you again. You were bragging, and you were telling a, a scary story. He said, we just don't do that on here. People don't need to know about our business. So that was really drilled into me. And I think it was it's really true for most of the captains and the crew on here is, I, I guess we take a lot of pride in handling difficult situations. And if you whine about it or if you uh, come in and brag about it um, it just diminishes the whole thing you're not being a professional I guess is what I'd like to say so um, so I'm gonna tell a couple of scary stories is that okay Mark absolutely <laughs> now it might not be scary to you I'll try to build it up but I'm not I'm not gonna like I, like we've always said on here I am not gonna it's all the truth though it's all the truth it really did happen in fact there's gonna be a couple crew guys that you know they're going to probably text you and go, oh, man, I was there. I saw that. You know, I did that. So um, um, let the guys at the bar talk about us. We're not going to. So I'll break these taboos, and it's mostly for Mark. Um, I know my kids have said, Dad, I never heard those stories when they did listen to the last one. Okay. So trawling has been my experience. Since 1985, we stopped crabbing. So for trawling... With big midwater nets, since 1985, the nets got bigger and bigger, the engines got bigger, the winches got bigger, everything grew and grew and grew. And so for the, the people in the audience that don't understand, when we set a midwater net in the Bering Sea, it's about a quarter mile long, just the net itself. And if you could picture a, a basketball net hoop, that's a very simple way to look at it. It's just a scoop, but this net is a quarter mile long, and the opening is so large that if you took a football field and stood it up on edge, that net could swallow that whole football field. I mean, it seems crazy, but it is. That's how we deploy these nets. And in order to get these nets out and to get them working, they have to be set perfectly. If they go out tangled, you've got a problem. Of course, anytime it's bad weather, you'll have problems. You'll get them set, you gotta re-bring re them back, that sort of thing, so. Um, Everything has to work. That's the biggest difference on trawling and crabbing. I think trawling is very technical. It's very, um, there's a lot of uh, electronics. There's a lot of uh, gear that has to work right. It has to go out straight. Everything has to work. And 
to even get a, a fish to go in the net okay and it's uh when you bring that catch back you might have 150 tons and if you're in 20 foot seas it's not for the faint of heart to bring that big bag on board and drain those those tanks and get those fish in there and get them chilled it's actually really cool when it all works but when something goes bad it can go bad really bad so one of my sayings always when i was in the wheelhouse watching the guys work i was watching the boat i'm watching the seas everything's okay as long as everything's okay and that sounds kind of silly but if suddenly we lose a pump or a hydraulic line or something goes wrong now everything's not okay and you don't just keep banging away at it like everything's okay now you go into survival mode sort of a thing okay so my first story i was a young captain i had some guys that were in the fleet like i said on the boat it was february it was bitter cold when it's very cold and the wind it blows out of the north it can stay like that for two weeks or you know 10 days or two weeks so we left Accutan and we jog very slowly up to where the fish are it takes about 24 hours going three miles an hour is all but it, you avoid putting a whole bunch of ice on the boat and uh, by doing that we were uh, we weren't having to stop and break ice it was a safety sort of a thing um, I found the fish it was pitch black night midnight the boats pitching up and down but I got to go straight into these big seas to protect the crew behind me if I go sideways the boat will roll the net will get messed up everything goes wrong so you have to go straight into it at least while you're setting your net and I saw a really good school of fish and I was by myself there was one other buddy boat uh, can you explain how you saw the fish I mean you, obviously yeah. you got radar going and you got well we have a lot of electronics we have everything underneath these boats is expensive and um, we shoot out in front of the boat with a sonar and then we shoot straight down into what we just saw with another machine that actually tells us the size of the fish and how dense they are excuse me and then we have an electronic with a great big screen that shows us the opening of the net and you can almost look these fish in the eye it's so detailed and you can see these fish if they're diving down or going up or going off to the side and you can adjust your net and that helps with targeting the right species so you're not that too yes if you're shooting on small fish you don't want to hit them there might be big ones under them you know you're kind of playing that game um, I don't really like to play that game I like to find a school of big fish of course but you can do it you can do it so we uh, we're setting in about 20 foot seas it's about 15 degrees out and there's ice on the boat there's ice on the decks things are no fun and we kept getting tangles we kept getting tangles so the guys would have to haul the net back flip it over flip it around so by the time they got done they were soaked in sweat even though it was so cold out um they just worked their tail off for a couple hours it's kind of like playing football out there and uh just as i got the net going down guys are going to come in and dry off now we're looking okay we got the net going out it's nice and straight and the the fish the amount of fish underneath my boat starts growing to the point where now it's like 20 fathoms of fish which would be 120 feet thick picture a blob of fish 120 feet that's a 12-story building and solid it's as solid as the bottom it's so there's so much fish in it so I automatically know that if I put my net in that fish I'm not gonna have to be in there very long to fill it up but one of the another one of the sayings I live by is the bears get rich and the bulls get rich but the pigs go broke if you stay in this fish for too long you'll damage your net you may tear your net off just out of sheer either emotion or greed or whatever 
It's very unprofessional to tear your net off. <laughs> it costs. And, and expensive. And to call the boss and say, well, I lost a net. Oh, well, did you hit a wreck? No, I just overcaught. You know, well, no, that doesn't work. That's that's not cool, you know. Yeah, so and now, nowadays, a net could be $100,000. Easy. This is a guy that knows right here. That's right, $100,000. Okay, so I'm dropping the net down. And when you drop a net down, the boat's going forward, and the net's deploying out the back with the wires going out. So it comes down real slow, like a 747 coming down for landing. It's really... And that, uh, like an analogy like that and as it comes down comes down comes down you're starting to see the fish on that what we call the net sounder which is the picture of the net and it looks solid man and I'm just it's like white knuckle fishing right you're going oh baby this ain't gonna take long at all nobody's around I got one friend over a little bit a little bit over ways and he's not supposed to start yet so just as the net gets into the fish I go to lock the brakes which means I'm gonna stop the winches and adjust the power so the net levels out it flies above the bottom and it just it combs through the fish right I called down to my crew I said this isn't gonna take very long you guys you know don't don't get too relaxed right then we blew a hydraulic motor a big one down on one of our big auxiliary engines and I heard it let go and the engineer ran down there and fixed the leak and he called up to me he said yeah I got it secured but we're gonna be out of hydraulics for a while so this is the part I have to kind of explain the technical part so you can see how afraid I was. So I've got fish roaring in the net. I mean pouring in the net. It looks like red concrete on this machine. It's coming in so thick. And I instantly guess, and I look at my watch, I set it. I'm thinking we're doing about 10 tons a minute. Probably more, but 10 tons a minute. And I said, okay, well, we can hold 150 tons. So we've got 15 minutes to fix this problem. Or i got to get out of this fish, one thing or the other. Well, without the hydraulics, I have no power to adjust the net. So I'm, so I'm, uh, I can't fly the net over the fish. I can't dump it down on the bottom. I don't want to damage the net. So we're flying through this fish, and I am completely transfixed on this screen, watching these fish go in. It's like watching a car wreck. I'm looking at it thinking, <laughs> slow motion. Here it comes, man. I can't get, I can't get out of this. So, so I call my buddy Bob tell I hope he hears this because he's gonna laugh hard. He's a good really good guy I call him up I said hey Bobby you got any fish over there he says no it's blank over here I said well geez man I says I can't get out of them over here you know and I wasn't that far away so uh, I said hey can you come over here and look in front of me I'm, I'm looking for a bear spot <laughs> he goes why I said because I can't get my net up and he's going okay well he turns right around and shoots his net out at me he doesn't come over he just shoots his net <laughs> I had to later say why'd you why'd you out geez he goes oh I knew you needed help See, now this is how it was in the Olympic days. Nowadays, he would have come over and helped me because he's in no hurry. He's got his quota. Back then, he's thinking, oh, Jack's broke down. I'm shooting my net, man. So he, he's going to jump me, right? He's going to take all your... He <laughs> did. I said, well, what a great friend, you know. So I can't pull out of these fish, and I start turning to get away from them. And it's wide open. Nobody's around me. And it's still just lousy weather, you know, big seas. And I go in the trough to try to get away from the school of fish. And I cannot get my eyes off this screen. I'm trying to mentally add up what the disaster rate is, you know. And my, my engineer is down there scrambling around looking for a, another motor. And I was so transfixed, I just kept turning. Oh, I got to get out of these fish. I got to get out of these fish. Well, believe it or not, it went from 20 fathoms to 40 fathoms of fish. It doubled. And when you double... Just like in hydraulics, if you double the size of something, you just increase the catch rate by four times. If you double it, it cubes. 
So I'm totally had now. I, I just know I am. I know I'm dead. There's just, there's no way around. But I couldn't get my eyes off that screen. And the crew, I called the crews up, the crew, excuse me, I, ca I called the crew up. And they're all huddled by the back door there. And they were still out of the wind. I said, guys, we got a problem here. I said, I cannot get this net out. Of the we are going to overcatch so bad. We're probably going to tear this net off. There's going to be no way when we eventually do get hydraulics, this net's not designed to carry that much weight back there like that. It's probably going to rip off. Now, I don't want any heroes, okay? I don't want anybody trying to be Superman because no net is worth losing a leg or an arm or a life. And it's going to be tremendous strains back there with this big heavy weight. So I got them all convinced to just be cool. We're, you know, when we eventually get it back up, we're going to do this. And all it took for me, because I hadn't once thought about a solution. All I thought about is the engineers taking care of it. The engineers taking care of it. This is a really good example. This is one reason I brought this story up, is that my fear. I was so afraid of what I was watching, and the reality of what I knew was happening that I didn't think of anything else. I didn't think of any solutions, options, nothing. All I did was call Bobby and, and plead to have him come over, you know, and that didn't work. So by looking out the back deck and talking to the guys, the light bulb came on. I said, what am I thinking? We've got a backup system. We've got a backup hydraulic system. We put this in just for this reason. And I'm just hitting myself in the head over it because it's been 20 or 30 minutes now. We got three, 400 tons back there. Way, way, way more than we're supposed to have. So I call the guys. They go down, throw the valves, we crank things up, and the winches come up at what our, my description would be extremely slow, like one-tenth of the speed that they normally come up because it's a backup system. And they crawl, and they crawl, and they crawl, and of course the boat is underwater and splashing and banging around, and I'm just thinking, this is it, man. This bag's All in 20-foot seas still. Oh, yeah. It's, it's covered nice. It's got it all going on, man. That's why I brought this story up. It's got it all going on. <laughs> so... I just knew this bag was going to hang straight down and pin me to the bottom. And I was, you know, I had all these visions again. My fear started coming back. You know, we got over the relief of not having hydraulics, but the hydraulics were so weak and so small. Now I'm worried about how am I going to handle this bag when it does come up, you know? I mean, this thing is just going to raise havoc. It's going to be like a, a nuclear bomb going off on the back of this boat. So they wound up and wound up and wound up and wound up. slowly came up and up and up. Pretty soon we're getting to a part of the net in the back and I'm thinking, there should be fish in here. What's going on? Keep winding and winding and the net's getting small in the back. And I look out way out back in the dark. I can't see any fish in the bag. And uh, just before the cod end, the back of that net had a twist in it. So there wasn't a single fish in the bag. <laughs> is that wild or what? It was all twisted up. It, it was twisted. It never would have, we could have fished all night and not caught a fish. It was just it was just picture the back end of a funnel and just take a take it twist it like a towel. That's what was wrong. We were so ecstatic. I mean, we were we were so relieved, you know. And so, it took me so years. No eggs kind of, then. No eggs. No nothing. I mean, and of course, being afraid, I wasn't looking at the eggs. When it fishes that fast, the eggs work kind of weird because the fish are so alive. <coughs> Excuse me. So, so my worst fears didn't come true, but I was playing it out like it was, and I wasn't coming up with solutions. I was just too friggin' afraid. How did Bobby do when he came over and dropped Bobby, it? he come by me with his big bag on deck. I said, hey, uh, we got our stuff up. Uh, we're not in any trouble. He goes, oh, good, okay. 
I said, what are you going to do? He goes, well, I'll just watch. He goes, I got this big bag. I got started just in case, Jack. If you have any more trouble, just let me know. I'll get another bag. <laughs> <laughs> I just laughed. But um, back in the Olympic days, in the Olympic days, we fished no matter what. So we had this backup system that ran super slow, right? Our boat was empty. We were just gotten started. The weather was lousy. If I had been in the quota system, I would have said, we need to go to town and get fixed. We, do not, we don't have a backup. You don't fish on a backup. That's crazy. Well, what'd we do? We fished on a backup, man. So set the net, you guys. It's gonna go slow because the hydraulics are slow. We set the net, we were full by morning, you know? And we were just ecstatic that, it's almost like we were in God's hands. We, we were so let off the hook. It was unbelievable. So that's one of my scary stories. And that's how I reacted. I was afraid, you, you, you know? Yeah. So the whole experience was, you thought you were catching so much fish that it was going to take the boat with it. Yeah, and it transfixed me. That's all I could see is all that fish Focused going on in. That one. That's all I could see. I didn't think of the solutions. I didn't think of a way to get out of this. I didn't think, other than turn the boat, but there's a saying, and I don't know, I'm not a psychologist by any means, but I like studying this kind of stuff, but somehow your worst fears are realized. So when I turned to get away from the fish, the fish doubled. You know, I couldn't get away from them. But your net was so tied up, you were just yeah. pushing them away anyway. They were flowing in, and they they were backing up in the back, and then just going out through the web. You know, we we didn't hurt a single fish that that tow. It was unbelievable. Nice. Some of the best fishing I'd seen that whole winter. <laughs> mm. And when you're on it, you're thinking you got it, then you pull it up, and there's nothing. Well, we'd seen a few of those too. There was there was definitely some. These were de like developmental nets, so um, you know those things were. Do you want me to just keep going? Yeah. Okay. Let's move on. Okay. This is still back in the start of my career. I would say, oh, I don't know. I, dates don't really matter. I do remember a couple of guys. Dave Osborne was on for that one. I think Dave Osborne was on for the last one, too. But He's still around. Yeah, well, I know he's around. He, he went from my boat to Howard, and, you know, he's, he's a definition of a long-term solid guy, you know. I mean, he worked with us for, like, I don't know, 10 years. He's been with Howard for 10 or 15. Long time. Maybe more. Sorry, David, if I got those dates wrong. But, uh, so... We, uh, this is another really good example of the Olympic system and why they went to quotas for safety. And we were not crazy people, okay? We were not gun-ho or swashbuck, whatever you want to call it. We were just guys that wanted to get our boats full and get in. That was, that was our goal. I'm going to pause you right there real quick. Yeah. Because now you're, you're all Pollock at this point. Yes. And you were an old crabber, too. Yes. So you know the exact definition between the two of them. Mm -hmm. Pollock guys take really good care of their boats, really, I mean, it's like a home almost. Mm -hmm. And the crab boats are like three months and we're done. It depends on, yeah, it depends on the captain and the owner, of course. I mean, they are the, they are the uh, dictator of a country or, you know, the president of their country. There's some really nice crab boats. I mean, beautiful crab boats. And there's some other ones that, like you said, they just get, they just kind of get thrown away at the end of the season. Um, I have been discussing this Pollock, difference between Pollock and Crab and thing as far as uh, most people don't know what Pollock is. You're going to start hearing more and more about <laughs> wild Alaska Pollock. And I would like to say that there is a lot of technology. There's a, between everything from the gear that we use, which is highly technical and really complicated, actually. I see those guys untangle those nets still, and I, I can't hardly believe what they're doing. Gus is really good at it, but my son. But... We have so much technology in the wheelhouse too, and when you're pulling crab pots, it's it's um, it's more uh, it's more bare bones. I mean, you just, you got to survive to get those pots out there and survive hauling them back, 
and not damage the craft. And there's no technology showing you where they're at. You know, guys have used cameras and a few other things, and I think that's fallen out of fashion because you can set pots and check them. But, you know, a crab can get up. We used to say Pollock moved 15 miles a day on the what we call the Pollock Highway, but crab can move 15, 20 miles a day too. The problem is if I wake up in the morning and the Pollock are gone, I feel bad, but i got to roll my net up and go look for them, right? Well, if I'm a crabber, i got to stack gear for two days and then go set the gear again. And if they're not in the gear, i got to stack the gear and set the gear again. It's just brutally hard work that way. So those guys definitely uh, work harder labor. Um, I think we deal with everything from sonar cables underwater that short out to tangled nets to uh, being able to fix those giant nets. I mean, there's just it's a different deal. Um, okay, so we're going to go back pollock fishing early in our in my career, and we were trying to finish up a trip. And back then we had to make quite a few toes. We didn't do it in two toes, and so. I needed to make one more tow to fill my boat up. And I remember talking to Glenn on the Arcturus. Him and I were friends and he's out there thinking about starting, but when you're just starting a trip, you don't have to take on horrible weather. You can wait a few hours for it to come down. But if you're trying to finish up a trip, you got to get that fish in. And you don't want to go in less than full if you can help it. It's just horrible not to go in full. So my job was to, you know, the fishing was good enough that I needed to get this net out and finish up. So I talked to the guys on the loud hailer. I said, you guys, I know it's just crappy out here and it's getting worse. And it's supposed to get worse after that. But we need to get this net in the water and get this last bag of fish. You know, they all agreed. I mean, they're all gun-ho guys. So we got her out. We were fishing in a place called The Corner, which has really horrible current. And the boat didn't have as much power then. The nets weren't as big. But anyway, we're fishing along and it looks like we're going to get what we need. And by now, the storm has just gotten insane, okay? I don't know how big the seas were. They're big. Say, call them 30-footers, okay? And curling. Okay? And I got to get the net back on the boat without losing my guys, which is never a fun job for a captain, cause, just because. Everybody can imagine that. Okay, so we're hauling back, <laughs> which means we're bringing it up, bringing it up, bringing it up. And... Um, we blow another motor, but this time the motor was on deck, and it was on the net reel, okay? And a net reel is a great big drum that you roll the net up on, okay? And back then our net reel motors were quite weak, and they couldn't take these huge strains we were putting on them because the net started getting bigger. Of course, this is all learned the hard way. So a Haglund motor split. The case on it split open. It just puked right on top of the crew, okay? They're down there with this net reel above them and this cascade of hot oil came down on them. So everybody screams and yells. We shut everything down. We got this net hanging out in this really stormy sea. It's dark. And of course, we're covered with ice again. And uh, I get the report from the engineer. He says, yeah, we're going to try to throw a few valves and use another net reel. I said, great. Let's see if we can stop that leak because we have to blank that off. Well, we couldn't get it to stop. We couldn't get it to stop. So, of course, we finally had to... Uh, now, now the bag's hanging out back, all right? 100 tons of fish. And it's crappy. So, and I'm trying to keep the boat headed up into the wind so the guys have some protection. I got to tell you, folks, Mark lives in the coolest place. There's a police boat going by right now. He's just right here on the canal, right across from, I don't want to get off base, but this is just. No, it's cool. You're styling, man. This is just too cool. What a great place to come and talk. So, 
we had to blank off the hoses, which is a long job on a ladder in these terrible seas, and 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 it's um, you know, it's washing two or three feet across the deck, and there's oil. Most of the oil's washed off, but it clings to things too. So everybody's hanging on to everybody, and they're trying to get these big ass hoses off and the big bolts that are old and rusty, and they finally blank stuff off. We think we're good. All right, we're going to be good to go. Well, it's still leaking. This motor is still leaking, but not as bad. But it's it's leaking like a steady little stream, like if a, I don't know, if a little boy was urinating or something, something like that. But it was it was definitely leaking. So we're looking for where the leak's coming from. Where's it coming from? We could not figure it out. And I finally told the guys, hey, look, we gotta we gotta haul this bag because our the engineer's telling me the hydraulic oil is going down. It's like your your gas tank's now down on a quarter quarter of a tank and you need that hydraulic oil to get that bag up okay um, so okay let's just let's try to ignore that that uh, piss of that year <laughs> I don't want to say that uh, just let's ignore the hydraulic oil that's coming down so the guys start hauling back again and hauling back again and I remember Dave Osborne saying you know, it was so cold out there and so windy that the hot oil felt kind of good on my face. <laughs> it was wicked. So, they got the bag up on deck finally, and it was heavy. Heavy, heavy, heavy. Because what happens is Pollock, when it blows at the surface, the airbags, their air bladders, um, they blow. So then they don't have as much buoyancy. So you've only got a little bit of time, like maybe 20, 30 minutes before that bag sinks. And it sinks to the bottom if you've got a lot of wire out like we did because we didn't have any way to control what was going on back there. Of course, we didn't know this, right? We, we didn't know because we're busy trying to take hoses off and get stuff ready. So we started hauling back, got the bag up on deck. It's a great big heavy blob. I mean, it's just stuffed because now that the fish are all compressed, they're like huge socked, this huge wiener of fish. And the poor guys... They pulled the first zipper, and when you pull a zipper on a bag, it uh, most zippers go underneath the bottom of the bag and unzip, just like a, um, not crochet, but macrame. And the, the bag will split open and the fish spill into the tank, just what you want. Well, they pulled the zipper and it popped because we figured out pretty quick that all this, this bag had been on the bottom in this volcanic sand and chafed all the zippers off. <laughs> so we couldn't get the fish out of the bag. And the oil's pouring on these guys, and I can't get the boat to turn back. We're in the trough. I mean, this is, we called it the haul back from hell, okay? It became a famous time for us, a haul back from hell. So when they popped that first zipper, it was only on the side that hadn't chafed, and the fish came out like, like a fire hose out the side of the bag and shot over to the side of the boat and filled the side of the boat up. Now, the Columbia is a really stable boat, but you can't put 40 tons of fish on one side of that boat and not have problems. And, of course, that was the low side because that was the side that, that was healing already. So now my guys are in waist-deep fish with hot oil on them, covered in ice. And we're trying to figure out how not to roll this boat over or how to sink. What are we going to do, you know? And I was telling them, don't, don't worry about getting the fish in the tank because they already got oil on them. We can't use them anyway. But we had to conjure up some ways to get what we call the scuppers open. Now, I should mention this because in the last story I was talking about being afraid. This whole time, I'm not afraid. I'm just dealing with it. I'm look. I'm trying to look out the back window, but it's covered in ice, and now it's covered in ice and oil. Okay, I can't see squat, so I'm reaching around back and scraping it off, and and it gets covered with oil right away, and then it gets covered in ice again, and it's it was like so difficult 
because the guys couldn't walk. They're, besides being waist deep in oily fish, they couldn't just walk on a clear deck. It was covered in oil and big waves, that sort of thing. So, yeah. Anyway, the engineer runs up and says, I'm just about out of hydraulic oil. We're going to have to get the spare oil out. And I looked at him, I said, oh, it's in the lazarette. Well, how do we get there? Because this 50 tons of fish is covering the lazarette. We can't get in there. We can't even get close to it. You know, there's this big bag. And I kind of went, oh, that wasn't a very good move. We're, we're had, you know. So I told him, I said, well, I've heard from the old, old guys. You can see, this is where my mind was working. It was where I wasn't afraid. I said, the old guys told me you could mix diesel and lube oil and it'll get you home. You know, it's not the best thing for everything, but you can do it. We'll mix up a batch if we have to. Let's just keep working, you know. And then I looked over, right when I was talking to Jeff, that was Jeff Penn. I looked over, and there's a light on on my console, and it's running the third wire winch, which is on the very back of the boat. And I clicked it off, and the third wire winch was plumbed through that motor that was pissing oil. And it stopped the oil. It was like the whole trip changed right then. All of a sudden, we weren't getting sprayed with hot oil anymore um the guys ended up working i don't know how many hours they figured out what was wrong which is what you're supposed to do figure out the problem and then figure out a solution they learned how to get the, the bag unzipped because it was damaged and but by the time we got in i'll never forget it we got into akatan man we look like a snow cone covered in oil i'll tell you it was it was bad but that i think that was a really good example of um keeping your head about yourself you're not looking at it like this is going to kill me or this is or that I don't like this. It's like, okay, let's get through this. You know, wait a minute, where's this coming from? What's going on here? What's going on there? You keep asking questions. But if you become afraid of something, all you can see is what you're afraid of. It's like, I don't want to go, I don't want to cross that bridge, you know. I'm afraid of that. But you're never going to see the beautiful land around it, maybe something like that. I mean, I've never come up with that. So, so those are my two scary stories. Um, and they were only scary because they're really difficult. You know, they're really difficult situations. And one of them I reacted with my emotions, and fear is an emotion. And the other one, I just banged away at it like a job, you know. None of us liked it. None of us were, nobody was blaming anybody. Nobody was yelling. I have a rule on the boat, nobody yells unless there's uh, somebody about to get hurt. And. You know, that kind of thing, when you come in, I mean, you've got days to clean up and fix up and do all this stuff, but you do feel like, you know, we got through that one, so I think we can take on just about, well, we, we did. We took on just about anything that was thrown at us, so. <clears throat> Captain for 35 years? No, no. I was, uh, started in um, 87. I was, uh, I was an engineer for seven years on the Columbia, and then captain in 87 up till 2015. On a couple oh, other boats. I'm sorry, 28 years. Yeah, something like that. I don't know. How dare you call me on two years, Jack? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Any uh, any time anyone life flighted off your boat? Never. Uh, okay. Some people may not appreciate this, but I'm gonna tell you something. I do. I go on a cruise ship. In fact, I'm going on one tomorrow. And on this cruise ship, I go on there, and it's a 900 seat theater, right? And it's all about the dead. They want to know about the deadliest catch, of course, because they're all from around the United States, and they all want to know if I know SIG. And, you know, I always tell them I do, and that's all cool. So I've been introducing myself lately. I said, yeah, they say, you know, this is Captain Jack. He's been in the Bering Sea, blah, 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 blah. I said, and then I ask, is there any fans here from the deadliest catch? And there's a lot of them. 
I said, okay, please, just think of me just like those guys. I'm just like those guys. I've been there. They're my friends. You know, we're all about the same age, blah, blah, blah. I said, however, and then I start going through this list. I said, you know, I've never had a heart attack. I've never been in rehab. I've never smoked cartons of cigarettes a day. I don't drink coffee by the gallon. You know, I've never had anybody life flighted. I've never fallen in the water. I've never had, never had anybody fall in the water. Um, never never bought a, brought a body in in the cooler. That happens. You know, does. you got to fish somebody out. you got to storm in the cooler. Um, and then I, I like to say, you know, I've been married for 38 years, and me and the kids are still good friends. And, you know, I've been a really fortunate guy. I'm not trying to brag in, by any means, but I'm trying to separate myself from I don't do what, you know, what that stuff is on TV. I, they never, not, they not, would never film us. Not we are everyone so, does. We are so boring. I mean, your, it your just, son, Gus, yeah. is the spitting image. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, great father. Yeah, uh, thank you. Well, you, you've heard me say I taught him everything he knows, right? Yeah, yeah. But but I didn't teach him everything I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, that's getting a little bit old now because he's, uh, he's definitely found his own feet. See? But, uh, you know, I, I learned from some really good guys. You don't need dr The guys without the drum are the ones that really kick ass. They're the ones that really produce, you know, because you're running things smooth. And I've said it before, you know, if you do it well, you make it look easy. That's the goal. All the way to parking the boat, all the way in to dumping the garbage off. Just make it look easy, you guys. Be ready, be prepared, you know, and make that your goal. If that's your mindset, it just permeates down through everything. It's been really great. Well, the so, captain controls everything. They really do. They should. Well, they do. I well, mean, some captains, I mean, some captains, the inmates run the prison, you know, and they're no fun. It's a bad boat to be on. No fun. Yeah, because you got backstabbing going on and all kinds of maneuvering and you know, and I'm not saying anything bad about anyone. Any, any Pollock fisherman or even a crabber could tell a scary story. There is nothing unique about my stories because you're in a really difficult place to work and you're working with a lot of gear and a boat and humans and all this stuff's coming at you. But um, they're all just reluctant to tell you their scary stories, you know? Because in some ways it might, it, maybe it's demeaning. Like, oh yeah, well, Maybe you shouldn't have blown that motor, you know? Well, yeah, you're right. Maybe I shouldn't have. Shit but happens. It, it, well, it shit shouldn't happen. <laughs> That's the goal. But, you know, you, you carry your spares and mechanical stuff, you know you're a buyer. I mean, stuff is constantly getting broken and fixed and repaired. There's a it, lot of boats out there that don't have spares for stuff. It takes no, a lot of vigilance. It really does. You know, you, you look for things that... Um, how many hours are on it? How many yeah. When I was an engineer, I was taught, and I lived by it forever. You have a daily routine of things you check, you have a weekly routine of things you check, and a monthly, and then a seasonal. And you just go down the checklist, and boy, you see things after a month that maybe are starting to wear out, or, you know, that sort of thing. But, um, it's, how's the, it's how's the book doing? Um, we're going to talk about his book real quick, guys. Yeah, okay, i got a lot going on. <laughs> I'm sorry for laughing. Uh, my editor edited the the eagle fantasy book and um well, wait i want to go back to the first book first oh that book yeah the book that's actually published it's actually right, right. doing okay yeah it's um i have learned that it's it's almost like you can't make this stuff up yeah and that's just what it's you know you can't make this stuff up i couldn't have made those stories up i mean I, no i couldn't have. but uh in many ways since i'm starting to branch out a little bit i want to get in public speaking this winter it's like a big um business card Hey, I'll send you my book, you know. 
it's it's a great way to introduce yourself to somebody. 96 page business card. Bam. Yeah, yeah, it is. You know, and they'll call back and go, holy crap, you know, <laughs> that's pretty scary. And I go, well, I didn't mean to scare you. It was just, you know, it's just some stuff we did. So I've enjoyed it. I want to write it. I've got an idea for a couple more books about the Bering Sea that are, I think are going to be really interesting to even non-fishermen. I mean, the whole ethnic thing, you know, with the Norwegians and the Portuguese and you know those generational series that you read about? They're still that way. Oh, they totally I mean, are. They're, yeah. they're still that way. Yep. And you can bring I them mean, over. I mean, Sig, Sig wants to, he'll, he'll yeah. team up with the Norwegian way before he'll team up with of someone else, you know. Of course. Oh, man, I used to have little John, John Domar drive at night. It, I used to laugh because I'd wake up in the morning and I'm surrounded by Portuguese boats. I mean, like four or five of them are trawling right there with us. They say, oh, you been on the radio, Johnny? <laughs> <laughs> Because they have their own channel, of course, and right. their own language. I mean, it's just more power to them, man. It's cool. I get along with all those guys. But, uh, yeah, there's those are the, like the three biggest ethnic thing is the Portuguese and the Norwegians, and then you have the Americans. And um, I've told people on the American side, oh, that guy's, he's dragging something there. Is he? Yeah, he's got it in the water. Uh, on the American side, you got like three, I'd say three kinds of fishermen. You have, uh, like, the Hell's Angels, right? They never would have made it in society. They're just not, they're rebels. They're going to be out there. They're going to do it their way. That sort of thing. And then you have what the... What is F that? He's, well, he's got his crane in the water. We have a, a research boat going by. He's probably towing a sonar to try it out. It's a nice-looking boat. It's like, a, it's like having a nice movie going by here. So, like, the second group of people are the ethnic guys. You know, the Portuguese and Norwegians. They fish because their dad fished and their dad fished. And that's really cool. And then the, the third group, which is one I always aspired to, was the professionals that, you know, you could have probably done something else for a living, but you had that streak that you wanted to be... I don't know. I, there's some freedom in it in fishing, things I've seen. And, but, but you apply all your intellect and your... Um, your effort into making it a professional operation, you know, which I enjoyed. I mean, it's nothing. There's no better feeling when things are clicking along. Boat's quiet. Your, your son Gus is much the same way. Yeah, I mean, he's. I pounded it into he's, him. He's uh, well, <laughs> you know, well. I mean, it's it, it's not a bad family situation either. I mean, granted, you're busy for three or four, even six months at a time. But then you got that break of a three-month window block of time where you're the best dad in the world you yeah, know yeah. Uh, it's a lot like uh uh single fathers or separate mm -hmm. fathers like my daughter for example um visiting for you know two months out of the year or three months out of the year and i get to spoil her oh, yeah. that entire time you know you know we have a name for that in the fishing business called the disney dad if That's you're it. A, if you're a Disney dad, oh geez, your poor wife or your poor ex-wife, whoever it is, right? My ex-wife, my ex-wife's <laughs> ex actually told me, you take her out for everything. Yeah. Every weekend, something new and something. You're fun, you know, man. I have limited amount of time. And that's how right? guys are, so, too. They don't want to stay home and cook a nice meal. They want to go. Yeah, let's go have pizza, man. Yeah. Yeah, I know. That's a, that's a fun thing, I'll tell you. Um, fishing has been, it's been very rewarding for me. I, uh, I was adamant, and so was my wife, about them coming up as much as they could and me being home as much as I could. But it was still such a great career move. I mean, it's such a great thing to do when I was there. I was totally into it, you know. So. You made a lot of those choices, though, early on in your career where you said, oh, I can't go out this trip. My family needs me. And a lot of guys don't mm -hmm. make that choice. So. Yeah. 
Well, the first year that I got the boat, um, I was gone 10 months that year. 10 months. It's different now, right? Well, so, I know, yeah, but it, it was, I mean, back then there was no, um, they didn't catch the Pollock quota. The entire quota never got caught. That was before factory trawlers. And I told Corey Ness, I said, Corey, I'm just heartsick. I love this job. I love this boat. Um, I got three little blonde kids at home. I can't, I just, you know, I got to be home sometime. Oh, uh, by the way, Jack's a redhead. <laughs> <laughs> so then, so Corey laughed in his classic Corey. He says, well, why don't you just get another skipper and split the time? Yeah. I'm going, really? Well, yeah, that's okay. You know, so, man, all of a sudden I was down to four and a half months a year. It was just awesome. And, you know, you get a few less zeros in the bank, but you're going to spend those anyway. Bigger they, they house, all bigger, go. Yeah, they're no gone. matter how much you make, they all yeah. go. You can't you can't eat the money, so. Right, we're about out of time here, Good. Jack, on this one. Um, anything you want to depart us with? Um, yeah, you guys could hire me for public speaking this winter. Um, depending on the venue, I'm not that expensive, but it's, it's a lot of fun. I got one coming up. Um, I really probably shouldn't say where it is or who's it for, but it's going to be a hoot. I'm looking forward to it. And um, I think there's going to be more and more awareness of Pollock in our diets. Do you eat Pollock? Oh, yeah. It's got a lot of omega-3 in it, right? Pollock and cod. Give me your... Well, cod's generally bigger. It's just a bigger, flakier fish. Cod is like... Cod's like lobster, man. It's just so... Cod or Pollock? No, cod. It's just so good because it's so... You know how... Or king crab. You know how when you eat some seafood you really like, if it's a giant amount, it's just incredible, you know? And as opposed to picking out little crawdads or something, you know? That's a lot of work. But um, uh, Pollock is like... You could eat it four or five times a week. I think you'd be a lot a lot healthier. Did you know there's zero omega-3 in tilapia? Well, tilapia's a farm fish. <laughs> I mean, it's a... It's a I know. Over, over farm fish. Over farm, Yes. Yeah, when, when they pull them out and there's one eye and there's yeah. a sideways mouth, that's not the kind of fish you want to eat. I got the quick rundown on farm fish in Chile, and I'll tell you the, what I would eat. The big thing is you get, you got to eat a wild wild fish. fish. Yeah. Whether it's Alaska or it's got to be a wild fish. What on the menu or in the in the freezer case at Safeway or Costco? What is wild? I don't think there's anything less if, less if, than fish. Well, it has to say wild on it if it is. Yes, right? it does. So yes. it has to. So when you're looking in the market and you're walking through there, mm-hmm. make sure you look to see if it's wild caught. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't say wild caught, you do not want it. Trust me, I know the details on how they raise farm fish. I wouldn't. It's not the way I normally end these kind of things. But, <laughs> uh, Jack, uh, yep. episode two for, good, from you. Thank you. Uh, appreciate you coming. Yep. My pleasure. Uh, always know. fucking great to have you. Oh, our first swear word just went out there. If you're doing it on my broadcast, sorry, dog. Well, I know. I can't Jack, let my I can't let my grandkids listen to this, right? I got to tell you guys, Jack. <laughs> Jack is a different kind of fisherman. I mean, we've obviously, for those of you that have listened a lot, we have all kinds on here. We have we have the guys that don't mind doing the cocaine. The, I mean, in their career, not currently, obviously, but uh, the wild pass and the crazy psychos and and that's what fishermen are pictured to be it's a big thing yeah but it's not always the way that it is we all have families mm-hmm. we have kids we have jobs traditions careers and careers yeah uh so 
not every fisherman is that way. In fact, the majority are not that way. You know, I... I... I don't want to say anything bad about crabbers. Crabbers are in another world, but it seems like pollock fishermen are so stable. They all have families. They've all been on these boats, at least Trident's boats, for years, years and years. And we have schedules, and I think the supply of fish has been so steady, we can we can plan it into our life. We're going to be gone for three months. We're going to get this much fish. I'm going to have this kind of income. It's wonderful, you know. The old days of scoring huge money with king crab boats, you know, it's kind of past, but there's still that, that overhang of, the mystique and you know, that. Yeah, you make it big, you party big, you just, you know, that sort of thing. Well, I mean, even today, a kid can come from the Midwest mm -hmm. and get on a Pollock boat and, boat and make more money than he's ever going to make. Mm -hmm. You know, where he's at right now. It, I mean, fish, fishing is always going to be a lucrative industry. Mm -hmm. It's dangerous, though. We hope so. It's dangerous. Um, so, all right, we're going to leave it off right there. And uh, you guys, again, uh, thanks for tuning in. Another episode of Galley Stories, Stories of the Bering Sea and Beyond. Nothing like it. With Jack Mullen. Uh, don't forget to write into Mark at galleystories.net or look us up on Facebook, uh, Galley Stories. And we'll see you guys next time. Get my book. It makes a great Christmas present. Do it. Actually, <laughs> actually, you guys, before we leave, if you if you respond in and type in, he'll he'll autograph it for you. Oh yeah, no problem. I've done that. I've done that plenty. There yeah. we go. Bye-bye. See you later.